You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and you can find me on social media at TWTerryPod. Well, on this week's episode, I'm going to be talking to a man who I believe personifies the word inspiration. Born with cerebral palsy and dyscalculia, you'll hear how he coped with dealing with these disabilities that have impaired certain aspects of his life. Suffering abuse by his dad, and being admitted to the psych ward as a teenager, you'll hear how he clung to his faith to help him push forward and heal. And just when things were starting to take off in his music career, he goes into detail about how he coped with things being put on hold, including entering into a toxic relationship. Now free from that and back on track, he shares how he's using his music to bring hope and encouragement to those who are struggling including forging a partnership with Choose to Live and the Hope Line to let others know they're not alone and that their life matters. He stands in defiance to what the enemy has thrown his way. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Matt Sassano's testimony. All right, guys. Well, I am here with the very powerful, very inspirational rock artist, Matt Sassano. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. Hey, man. Greetings from Tennessee. It's good to be here, man. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, when I was uh, asked about doing this interview and I and I looked into, I, I just knew that I had to do this because we have so much. Um, it's it's it seems like so much in common with our obviously passion for mental health and raising awareness for that. But man, your music is is legit. I I, I love your music and just how raw and real it is. And uh, I'm excited to get to know you more and and delve deeper into your story. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, this season of the music has really, um, really been an adventure, man. I mean, uh, recording my new EP in defiance, uh, with Josiah Prince was a milestone for me as somebody who was raised in a small town and just really, there wasn't, I love the people there, but, um, a lot of them were very small town minded. So there was no big dreaming going on. So to think that I would go from, you know, that 15 year old kid listening to disciple, uh, walking around in my hometown to now recording and um, seeing the music take off like it is and have such the impact that it's having is an awesome thing. Yeah. Praise God, man. Praise God. Well, I'm excited to, to dig into your story, but before we do that, another reason I knew that we'd click so well is because like myself, you're huge into nineties nostalgia and oh, specifically it looks like the, the teenage mutant Ninja turtles. And so man, I got to ask, Who's your favorite turtle? All right, dude. You know what is so funny, man? I was watching the, I know a lot of people will give me flack for this because they're all about the 90s, <laughs> um, the original TMNT, but I actually did like the Nickelodeon version as well. And I watched that just last night and I had this conversation and I'm like, which turtle do you think I best reflect? And my girlfriend was like, hey man, I think you're a little bit of like Michelangelo and a little bit of Donatello. You're not like, you're a little over the top, 
but you're also smart as well. So I took that both as kind of a compliment, but I would say I got to go with Michelangelo, just the down to earth guy, man. Yep. Yeah. How about hard, you? hard to choose against him. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, it, mine kind of switches, but uh, I, I like Raph, man. Uh, so I, I grew up with the cartoon and just kind of that uh, snarkiness. I don't know. It just kind of uh, made me laugh. And so I like Raph. Um, my Jeep is is kind of green and red, uh, same colors as, as him. And so I call it Raph for short. And so, um, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a shell ahead myself. What are some other things from 90s nostalgia that you're big into? Like literally, literally everything, man. Like I, I, I'm not much into the new gaming systems and I know I'm aging myself here. A lot of people will be like, dude, Xbox one PS3. But if you set me in front of a Nintendo 64 with golden eye or like Turok yeah, dinosaur man. hunter or uh PS one <laughs> with like metal gear solid, any of that stuff gaming wise is uh, my thing. And also um, I was big into like Nickelodeon growing up. I was in that era. So I am the guy that like, gets thrilled as cheesy as it may sound when they put Keenan and Kel on like Paramount and all that stuff. So I binged that when I uh, had a little time off last week. <laughs> yeah, dude, same. I'm uh that all that stuff is right up my alley. My, my wife, uh, I think kind of gets annoyed with just how much I, I love the, the nineties and, and go back and watch the shows and yeah. collect, you know, some of the action figures from that era. So yeah, man, it's cool that we got that in common, dude. Let's, let's, let's kind of dive into your story here. So Matt, let's start off at the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a little town, uh, like near a town called Rochester. This is a little suburb type, like little place, more cows than people called Canistillo, New York. Um, there really wasn't a lot going on there. Um, but I, you know, I was raised in a pastor's home. And so from an early age, um, I really, my mom played piano and did a lot of the stuff on, on the worship team. Um, but around the age of 15 was when I kind of caught the rock and roll, you know, bug, man. And I was all into rock and roll Um, these kids, these three brothers came to our church and they had recently converted from being Amish but they went the exact opposite route from their upbringing when they finally cut loose from that. And they had the tattoos and the piercings. And um, I really, I really gone wild. Yeah, dude, it was just such a wild thing, man. They were these three crazy brothers and they just were into all sorts of like rock and roll. And they gave me my first tooth and nail compilation CD. And from there on out, man, I was just hooked to music and, um, really growing up, that was the one thing that made me feel empowered. And, uh, you know, it took me a long time to find the voice that I am now, as far as just like being a singer, I never imagined it, but I always had the passion for it. And I always knew maybe deep down someday, some way I would find a way to do this. Yeah, man. And and you mentioned the word empowered and digging into your story and in, in the lead up to this, uh, interview, your life has had, you know, quite a bit of challenges in a number of different areas. And so I'm wondering, you know, can, can you kind of walk us through what are some of those challenges that you've had to face through even from, you know, the, your earliest years? Yeah, I was that kid that the doctor said would be dead. They expected me to die. Um, they said there was pretty much a 0% chance that I would live. Um, I was born with a traumatic brain injury. Um, and so as a result of that, lots of complications in the womb. And, uh, it really was like a trying time for my mom and, and, and all the doctors and everything like that. 
Um, but uh, as a result, I came out with two disabilities. I had I have cerebral palsy and I have another lesser known disability called dyscalculia. And um, throughout my life, I just remember from an early age just struggling um, to try to um, conduct myself in ways that the other kids were like, I would get lost easily. I can't even drive to this day. So I was very socially withdrawn a lot of times. Um, I remember going to physical therapy sessions where, you know, I'd have to wear leg braces or, you know, um, do all these things and just kind of felt like the odd man out, man. It was a lot, it was a lot to, to deal with, but through it and later I've kind of found my strength, but at the time, man, it was just crazy and suffering through my education and, um, where I, even where I'm at now, I'm very heavily dependent on family and stuff like that. So, um, it has its downsides, but I mean, really it's empowered me to speak out for those who don't have a voice. Yeah, that's awesome, man. God, God works through everything. How does the cerebral palsy affect you, uh, even to this day, Matt? So if you were to see me walk and I walk with, uh, a pretty pronounced, not very pronounced, but pretty pronounced like a uh, limp and everything, that was the challenging thing. Um, but the, the disability that gets me the most was the dyscalculia because it impedes my ability to drive. I remember like, um, it's a place in space, so you can't read maps. You can't do like a lot with finance, um, or like count, like when I was on certain jobs, they'd keep me away from cash register or, you know, and so I'd get lost often. And there was oftentimes when like, I'd get, you know, called out or, even fired from a job for just getting lost or people interpreting that I was just slacking off because for the longest time, it took me a, a, a while to talk about my disability. So my, my entire life was trying to either create a diversion or have a sense of humor. Um, but it got exhausting just trying to, you know, hide what you were going through. And so this, in this season of my life, I've just seen that turn around and it's, it's been awesome. Yeah, you mentioned kind of struggling to to fit in or, or to be quote unquote normal compared to the other kids. So what was that like, you know, going through grade school, middle school, even into high school when it came to peer relationships? Is that something that was a struggle? Did you deal with any bullying or did people kind of rally around you? What was that like? Oh, yeah, I had uh, a little bit of both to where like I would suffer at the hands of the bullies and stuff. But because I had de I had developed such a sense of humor. Um, which was kind of like a survival mechanism for me. A lot of people would rally behind me. So a lot of the dis disenfranchised kids um, or the kids that just didn't fit in themselves or, you know, had juvenile delinquent backgrounds, they all stuck up for me for whatever reason. Like I was that kid where somebody tried to pick on me and um, they, you know, often would get just, punched in the face by somebody or whatever. Um, cause I don't know, for whatever reason I was, I was disabled and everything, but I developed and cultivated a sense of humor and kind of just like a social awareness. Um, not that I like loved the idea of being different, but that was just something that I learned to work around as opposed to a lot of the other kids. They didn't know how to crack a joke or they didn't know how to, you know, divert the attention away. So I felt bad for those kids and um, all that. But I still was the target of bullying and, you know, just trying to feel normal. Yeah. How did you cope with the bullying? Oh, man. I mean, lots of bumps and bruises, man. I mean, it really, it was just a lot of, I don't know, honestly, 
I'm not even really sure. Just like my mom was always my guiding light. Like she was always the one that was kind of um, helping me to be strong and, you know, encouraging me and all that kind of stuff. So I had, I had her to really, you know, help me. I know that sounds a little hallmark, but that's just the, just, that's just kind of the way it was. No, man, that's awesome that you had your mom there to, yeah. like you said, kind of be your guiding light. You mentioned growing up in a pastor's home. What was that like? I, I know for some people, it's it's this awesome thing. For other people, it's it's not so awesome. What was your experience with that, Matt? Yeah. So on one hand, I got to learn a lot about my faith. And um, I never really questioned my beliefs um, as far as like, I always had the sense that God existed and that he... Um, wanted to be, wanted to be, you know, um, close to his creation or whatever. I always thought I'd never had a struggle with theology, but unfortunately for me, there was just a lot of hypocrisy in the church that I grew up in. Um, I remember from a young age, like just suffering abuse at the hands of my dad, who was the preacher at the church. Um, and it was just a crazy time because we would come home from church and then there'd be complete just arguments, flipping of tables, glass breaking, um, you know, oftentimes me and my dad would get into scuffles where there was blood on the floor, um, and things like that. And I mean, we just, we had a lot wrong with us, but there was a whole bunch of people also in the church that were blind to what was going on and just wanted to serve God. So you had this segment of people that were sincere about their faith. And then this other segment that's just being completely hypocritical. So I found myself in this struggle of just trying to figure out what was real and what was fake and just craving transparency. Um, no matter what I was going through, whether it was bad or good, I was going to be the guy that was who I was no matter what no anybody thought. Like when I was a kid, I remember often getting in trouble because I'd be smoking in the church parking lot and I was the pastor's son and they'd be like, Oh dude, what, what are you doing? Like it, it would freak them all out. But I was just that guy that was just like, I just, I don't want to hide anything. I don't want to make it seem like anything, you know, I don't want to make anything seem like it's hidden in my life. And so I was kind of that more outspoken kind of kid um, and just wanted to be transparent. Yeah, man, I, I can't imagine what that was like for you. You know, in my mind, I'm envisioning, okay, you're you're in church on Sunday, your dad's up at the pulpit, you know, preaching and, and talking about, you know, the grace and the love of God. And then you come home, you know, a few hours later and you guys are getting into it, you're, you're, you're being abused. What kind of toll did that take on, on your mind? And, and just from a psychological aspect, what was that like for you, man? I think that like, as when you're growing up in a situation like that, you often don't know um, that it's as toxic as it is until you get away from it. That's why I encourage so many people in mental health to take a step back because, um, I can characterize my dad one way. And yes, there was like heavy abuse and there was like, you know, times when we get in scuffles and a blood on the floor, but there was also those times when we would laugh and have a, have a good time. So it was like, you know, you, you're raised in this environment and you finally come to a point where you get the mental health that you need. And I, I remember um, upon my parents' divorce in 2009, I had gone to counseling and I was talking about what I'd gone through and I never called um, the abuse what it was. And so as I was talking about it, the counselor just paused and she's like, so you, you mean you've, you've been abused? 
And I, I was like, oh, well, I mean, we got in fights and this and that. And she's like, no, man, like I can tell, like I've been in this field for such a long time. You don't want to call it what it is. And you're so used to covering for um, somebody's actions that you, you kind of skirt around it, but that's what it is. And that was the moment of clarity for me where I was just like, man, it feels like a, a just bricks off my chest. Cause for once I was just calling it what it was. Yeah. Actually having the, the word for it, the label for it, you know, sometimes just having that can give you so much empower empowerment. And like you said, just kind of bring clarity to, whoa, that's actually what was going on. When, when your parents divorced, what was that like for you, Matt? Uh, so 2009, you would have been how old at that time? I was in my earlier twenties. Um, I would say so it was, um, it was a very, very weird experience because, not a lot of people knew what was going on within the church. Like we had gotten so used to sweeping things under the rug and coming to church with smiles on our face and bruises underneath our collars or whatever it was that like not a lot of people, not a lot of people knew. And the people who did know that were in authority didn't want to get their hands dirty because at that point it felt like they were picking sides or they didn't know who to, who to, you know, who to trust, I, I suppose you could say. So there was a, a pretty big church split. Um, and then my dad uh, had started another church in his, in the, in the hometown in another denomination because they had um, eventually kind of thrown him out once everything was revealed. But it was just a weird process because um, you saw people that I grew up in church. I saw my some of my biggest friends um, and greatest friends and families that I'd grown up for years just never talked to me again because of the controversy with my family. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, like I'd gone to youth group with these kids. I'd, you know, hung out with at them at like family dinners and stuff like that. And we revolved our, a lot of our life around the church. And so when that was happening, we just felt like we were walking around with a scarlet letter on, you know, and, you know. Uh, everybody was just kind of like shocked and surprised and trying to unravel details of our past. It was crazy. Yeah. It sounds like there was feelings of like rejection or maybe even abandonment there. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, it was, it was crazy because like I said, we waited so long to expose the truth that by the time we got around to it, people were questioning, you know, if it was legitimate. And so there was a lot of people that just, um, wanted to keep a good thing going. They had their comfortable church. They they didn't care if the place was burning down to the ground or if I was, you know, being mistreated. They just wanted to kind of live in that bubble of naivety, I guess you would say. And um, I found that a lot of the people that I grew up knowing, their houses were built, on, you know, in the Bible, it says, build your house on, you know, the rock. A lot of those people lost their faith. It shook them to the very core. I remember um, one of my Sunday school teachers who um, I grew up with. He, you know, got really heavy into drinking and, you know, got arrested a few times after um, everything hit the hit the fan. And so um, it devastated a lot of people and it really showed um, their true dedication to the faith. I mean, I, I wish everybody well, but yeah, it just got it, everybody showed their true colors. Yeah. So with, with going through that situation, Matt, and then even just everything with your dad, how did that affect your ability to trust people? I, it, again, I'm kind of putting myself into your shoes. I'm just like, oh man, like, I think I'd have a really hard time being able to trust people. What was that like for you? 
yeah, when we got thrown out of our church, um, there was a period of time where we all loved God. We all knew that we wanted to continue to press on with God, but we just did not. Every time anything would remind me of my past in a church or if anybody, if, if any facet of what I was experiencing kind of reminiscent was reminiscent of my past, I would freeze up. So there was a, ta- a time where I just didn't even go to church. I would, you know, or when I did go to church, it'd be the exact opposite denomination of where I was raised. And so I just wanted nothing that resembled the past. Um, I've long since healed and, and, you know, I'm still, I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, I trust everything now, but I'm a little bit more open-minded and kind of learn life's lessons. But yeah, I mean, I had songs in the, in the past called, uh, in one of the projects called March of the Damned, which was about corrupt church leadership and leading people off a cliff. And so it was a huge thing for me growing up and, um, you know, huge part of my story. Yeah. How did going through all that and, and even just kind of as you were younger, you know, you, you're looking at your dad and in every young boy kind of looks up to their dad. Right. And when you're kind of going through this and especially when you uh, went to counseling as a teenager and you, you, you finally kind of had the words to accurately describe what was happening to you. How did that impact your relationship with God or seeing God as like your heavenly father? Yeah. I mean, I, man, it was, it was a crazy experience when I finally kind of, went to counseling and called uh, the abuse what it was. Cause like I said, we lived in such a way that we didn't even really fully realize how toxic it has, had been. Like I'd have friends coming over um, that wouldn't want to be over again. Cause my dad and I would have, you know, fights or whatever. Um, oftentimes our pets would even go like, you know, be withdrawn because it was such tension in the house. Um, and I didn't really realize it until I went to counseling and put all these pieces together Um, but as far as how it, um, related to God, it's just, like I said, I've always known that he's, he'd existed. And somehow I always kept the idea that he was a loving God for whatever reason. I had my bitterness towards him. Maybe, I mean, that's, I vented a lot of frustration. Um, but at the end of the day, I always believed and, you know, not to say that I was always perfect or anything like that, but, um, at the end of the day, my faith was solid. It was just, I questioned a lot of things. Yeah, no, that makes sense, man. And that's awesome though, that through everything, your faith did remain solid. I, I almost kind of see that as God's grace and God's covering over you in that way. And so you mentioned going to counseling and um, I've, I've seen, and we, we were talking before we pushed the record button that at one point you were in the psych ward. And so what, what kind of led up to that, Matt, with, with your mental health? Okay, so there was just a lot going on at home. Um, tensions were really, really high. Um, just every time when I would, you know, I was just that kid where I, you know, like, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I just had a lot of tussles with my dad over just stupid things. Like there would be times when just arguments would erupt over nothing or a weird look. And I'd be like, what, you know, you got that little bit of that teenage angst in you. And when you're dealing with somebody who is not a very stable person, a little bit like the, like the punishments and all that stuff can be blown out of proportion. So I remember just going toe to toe with my dad a lot. Um, I had just broken up with a girlfriend of mine. Her parents were a little bit, um, 
strange. And so they banned me from seeing her. Um, we had been going out for a long time and they kept me from seeing her and she tried to kill herself. So she was in the psych ward and everything a week prior to when I went in, um, because of cutting and all that kind of stuff. And so it was just a really turbulent time when it came to family, when it came to breaking up with a, my first, what I would call my first love, my first relationship at that time. And I just felt really lost. I had nowhere to turn. Um, and even the most intimate like details about my father's abuse, I never really went. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I couldn't talk to my, even the girlfriend that I had at the time. So in between a breakup, between troubles at home and just trying to figure out my, myself, I ended up in the psych ward and uh, it was a really dark time for me. Yeah. How did you get through that dark time, man? What, what role did, uh, did your faith play in that? Oh man, it was, uh, like I said, I think God has just steadily kept me up on course. It's not like during that time I was praying a lot or just like surrendering to him fully, but I feel like God just always had his eye on me and always kind of kept me strong. And like I said, like, I think one of the most weird realizations and the darkest realizations that I had, um, during that time in the psych ward was that when I got out, nothing would be resolved. So I was going to be in there. I couldn't tell anybody about the problems. I was covering for a whole church infrastructure that we had. Um, and I was so used to just, there was so much at risk. If I had blown, blown my father in, maybe CPS would take the kids and I would have to live somewhere else. So one of the stunning realizations was just that whenever I went to the psych ward or whenever I got out that like they wanted to hear how healed I was and how great I was doing. And I just knew deep down that it was all going to have to be a facade because I'd go home to the same situation. And that was a really hard thing. And it took years and years to continue fighting through it. Even, even after my time in the psych ward. Yeah, man, that that's, it just sounds like a lot of pressure to put on yourself too, right? You know, that pressure, that responsibility, it sounds like you really felt like I got to kind of keep this image up. Like you said, that this facade of like, everything's fine, but man, if only people knew what was going on behind closed doors. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways too, our, fam our family had adopted this wrongful um, kind of like theory, I guess you could say, or, or, or practice of just kind of trying to save face with God. Or like trying to make, be God's attorney, defense attorney, you know, like, so if I tell them that our family's going through this, then they might backslide or they might like turn their back on their faith or they might look at us in a different way. And so we played this whole thing where we were just like, you know, and I know my, my family met well, my mom met well with this, but it was just one of those things that like we just grew up to do was just like, you know we got to save God. We got to save God's face. And, um, it was, it was a really dark time, but I've come through a lot of it. And I find that with the honesty that I've had, um, people are being touched through it. So for sure, man, for sure. And I, I really, uh, am inspired by your honesty and your realness and your rawness. And I mean, your music is all about that. Um, kind of tidying up the, the whole psych ward situation. So it sounds like though, uh, again, just kind of talking to you and, and, and doing some research, God kind of brought that situation full circle for you because you were once 
you know, a patient in the psych ward, but then you ended up working in the psych ward. So, so how did God work through all that? How did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, yeah, as I said, I was a patient, I fought through it and it's not like there, there was a time when my mental health battles just completely stopped. Even during the time when I was, um, being a mental health aide in the psych ward, I would still have anxiety attacks and things like that, but I just knew I wanted to use, um, my life to, to help other people. So I got my stepdad had worked a job as a mental health aide and he got me the job there. And so my job was to plan activities for the patients. Um, it was for, uh, you know, to cook snacks for them and just to kind of like, and I got to sit down with a lot of people and try to hear, hear their stories as well and kind of what brought them in. And, um, it was really just a crazy full circle experience. And, um, like I said, I wasn't completely healed from every aspect of my anxiety. I just found myself in a better place. And it's just a testament to how God uses the broken to reach the broken. You don't have to continue to be put all the way together. Just got, let God use um, the pieces that you have together and um, he'll, he'll do the rest, you know? Um, and so that's all I can say is like, even during times when I was in the psych ward, there'd be times I'd have to go home because I had anxiety attacks or was fighting through something. But God really used me in that time to fight alongside a lot of people that were going through um, their own battle. Yeah. And man, that's just like God to do that, right? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And it sounds like for a season of your life there, he called you to go there. And even though you were battling through some anxiety and some mental health stuff to to still be a blessing to others and to still uh, be be the light to others. And so that's awesome that you had that opportunity. You mentioned stepdad. And so I, I, again, I mean, as a therapist, I'm curious, going through everything that you did with your dad, what was it like when your stepdad came into your life? You know, as far as building trust with him, building relationship with him, what was that like for you, Matt? So this is kind of a weird, uh, this is kind of a weird story, but my stepdad was actually the bass player on the worship team that we had at the church. So, um, during this time when my dad, my dad was being really harsh and abusive and stuff like that, it felt like we, my, my family had nowhere to go. No, nobody would listen. My mom had tried to seek people, but they just would whitewash it. And um, like I said, my mom grew up playing piano um, for the worship team. And my stepdad at the time was just a friend of ours. Um, and he played bass and everything. And through this whole situation, um, you know, he was the only one that would hear everything out. Um, and so he's really helped me, um, in time. It was, it was, you know, like I said, an adjustment some, sometimes, but it was kind of a slow um, process to where they got together. It wasn't like this overnight thing. Um, but through just hearing, hearing the stories of what my mom and I were going through, they, we all kind of forged a, a friendship relationship. And, uh, over time, things have just healed to the point where they just decided to get married and stuff. I mean, it was a crazy time and it was, um, you don't really hear stories like that, but, um, when you're going through something and somebody just takes the time to listen, that's what, that's what it is, man. And so, um, my stepdad is currently here and he also helps me a lot with on tour. He, he, he's the bus driver for the tour. Um, he helps in a lot of like, um, just 
arranging events and doing things that I can't do due, uh, due to my disabilities and stuff like that. He'll be the first person to kind of help organize and, and things. That's awesome, man. That's awesome to have kind of that healthy uh, father figure in your life now and, and showing you that father's love and, uh, you know, showing your mom, you know, what, what a good husband love looks like as well. I'm sure that has been impactful as you as well, as you mentioned, you're in a relationship now. And so just seeing that dynamic, I'm sure it's been powerful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like my stepdad was one of the guys that like really encouraged me in music and stuff like that too. So like, um, you know, he was at first before I ever thought I'd be a singer, he was the first one to teach me some bass riffs and got me really interested in, you know, music in general. And then about the time that, um, things happened to where I was a singer, he was there alongside just encouraging. And he's been the guy from the beginning that's kind of like encouraged the project, encouraged me to continue to tell my story. So, Hey man, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm so glad to hear that, man. So then 15 years old, you get that tooth and nail compilation, kind of like being sucked into the rock genre, getting a taste of that. And throughout everything that we talked about, man, throughout all the struggles that you've had, it sounds like music has always been a an outlet for you. Like it, it was one thing that was maybe always safe for you. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was like I said, it was the one thing that kind of made me feel empowered. I lived in a small, boring town. I was a scrawny, disabled kid. Um, and, you know, although I had a great sense of humor, I at times I just hated my life. And so when I would walk around town to escape the chaos of my home or do whatever, I just slap on headphones and uh, music gave me a place to go. I mean, I remember just listening to um bands like Disciple, Blink-182. I just was all over the board. And as I was walking around town, I envision a life outside of that small town and maybe doing the band thing like a lot of my idols at the time. So uh, yeah, music was just the one place where I could just put on headphones and be gone somewhere for a while and just in my own thoughts and in my own heads and then just thinking about the future or the future that I wish to have. Yeah, man. Uh, at what point did you realize, Hey, I, I can sing and, and, and maybe this is something I can make a career out of. Oh man, that was a very, very slow process. So upon my first project, uh, it was called transparent and my original, um, plan was just to play bass and write the songs. But what ended up happening is every time I would draft a singer, they would quit within like, you know, the first week. So I was really discouraged. I was really down about like, man, why can't I just find a singer that sticks? And what had happened was kind of a funny thing. I went to this church, you know, like I told you I had gotten thrown out of my, my one church. So I was looking and kind of church hopping around the area, never really knew a lot of people. Um, but I went to this one church this Sunday and this lady that I barely knew that I maybe had met like for a very short time once was preaching that morning. And in the middle of her um, sermon, she ordered me to stand up. She said, Hey, um, son, can you stand up? And I was all nervous. I was like, I don't know what is going on here, man. I don't get it. And um, she had no idea about my music, but she brought me forward and she said, today you're standing in front of maybe 200 people, but God wants to let you know that one day you'll stand before many, many more and you're going to have a huge impact in music. And I was like, all for that. And I was like, okay, yeah, like I, I am, I'm down. 
Um, but then she said, and he wants you to sing. And that's when my heart just dropped out of my chest. I had never sang a note in my life. I'd never assumed that I could do it. I listened to like bands like Linkin Park and I admired like Chester Bennington and all his stuff. But um, for me to be a front man um, was just a really, really <laughs> far-fetched idea for me. So I, you know, I'm not, I was not the front man that I am today, confident and all that kind of stuff. I was a very timid and so when she said sing, it took me about two to three weeks to battle with myself to really just um, put it all aside and say, if I if God's called me to do this and I want it done, I'm going to just have to grow into this role. And that's exactly what happened. You know, you just grow into that role that God does line upon line, precept upon precept and eventually get where you're going. Yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 clear that God had that call on your life and that lady prophesied over you. And, uh, you know, like you said, you liked you liked the first part, but then the second part, she's like, wait a second, I'm not a singer. And I, I just think of like um, Moses, right? Like when God commissioned him to speak for the people, he's just like, I'm not a speaker. Let, let Aaron do it. And so, <laughs> um, I mean, it's cool that just to see your obedience in that, right? To just trust God that, okay, God, if you called me to it, I'm just going to walk in this. And so you mentioned being in a, in a couple of different bands. Uh, now you're you're a solo act, Matt. W- at what point did you uh, make the decision or, or kind of feel the call that, okay, now it's time to step out and, and do my own thing? Okay, so uh, yeah, like when I was in a lot of bands, I loved it. Like I love the whole band thing, but Unfortunately, it was just really hard to find people with either the same work ethic or the same spiritual views or background um, or people that with, you know, that would stick with it for more than two weeks at a time or whatever it was. And so um, I I had that band transparent. We had just been a small town band, but we had a big break uh, through a series of events. One of the first songs I ever wrote called Bridges was featured on a NASCAR uh, video game along with Stain and Hailstorm and all this stuff. We were just a small town band um, that eventually, yeah, it was crazy, man. So I was just, you know, this guy from nowhere. And, um, you know, when you fire up NASCAR, the game inside line, the first, one of the first songs I ever wrote called bridges is the main menu next to all these bands. And I was unknown um, at that point. I didn't really know how to manage the music industry. So that opportunity kind of came and went, that band had broken up and uh, my family, which is really supportive. My mom and stepdad had decided that, you know, if we're going to ever do this, we got to move to an area where it's going on. So um, I, I think around 2014, I established another band called transparent soul. That was kind of the Tennessee version of my original band under uh, the wing of Travis Wyrick, who's a producer that's done disciple and all this kind of stuff. And then that eventually kind of, broke up. We, you know, and so over time, it just got increasingly important that I just do this on my own. Um, I saw a clip of Post Malone and he was surrounded by a whole bunch of people in this huge thing. And it was just him and a track. And I know a lot of people in the rock world, you know, that'll be something they, I catch flack for, but I'm like, you know what, if he can do this with just tracks and nobody's really nobody's really, you know, booing them off stage. Why don't I, why don't I just do that? And so that was kind of my, my thing. I'm, 
I wouldn't call my style much like post Malone, but it was, that was kind of like the, the realization of like, wow, like he's got some screens, he's got some cool um, effects and uh, he's doing it all by himself. And so that was kind of God leading me into this whole solo project. Man, that's awesome. And so eventually you released your first EP and was that in 2019 or uh, what year was that? Yes, I think that was 2019. Um, that EP was co- or my, that CD was called Transcend and that was um, produced by a local producer here named Colton Carnley, um, who was kind of um, the protege of Travis Wyrick, who's done a lot of different things. And his his um, thing was more pop. Um, he, he liked a lot of pop and EDM and all that kind of stuff. And at the time I was writing for a lot of just different like TV commercials and things or trying to get into that world. I never imagined that I would, um, be performing those tracks out live or anything, but like they, they ended up coming together and, um, that album is a lot different than in defiance, but it kind of set the tone for like the electronic influence you hear in my current work. Um, I would think, I think the difference between in defiance and transcend is transcends maybe a little safer, um, lyrically, um, in defiance was the time when I would just kind of took all the gloves off and said, I'm going to write exactly how I feel. I know why I'm here. I, I feel like, um, God's given me this new direction. So it's like this combination of rock and EDM and the honest lyrics and everything like that. Yeah. And, and like you said, kind of that first step in, in the direction of, of really getting yourself out there, because uh, the following year you were invited to tour with GFM. And uh, unfortunately, this thing called uh, COVID popped yeah. up and kind of <laughs> cut uh, that tour really short. Talk us through that, Matt. I, I, and I know, again, just just kind of looking through your Instagram and whatnot, that 2020 in general was, I mean, it was hard year for all of us, but you went through a couple big things in, in 2020 there. So um, let's maybe talk about that. How did you deal with, with the tour getting cut short with, you know, mm-hmm. now, you know, being in quarantine and uh, just everything that happened that year? Yeah. I mean, it was a shock, man. It was a really big shock. Like I said, I faced a lot of isolation growing up because of my disabilities and not being able to drive. And so the isolation of COVID while everybody else was like, oh man, this is the hardest thing. That definitely was not the hardest thing for me as far as the isolation goes. But when I was signed up to go on this tour with GFM. I was super excited about it. I had waited for years and years, multiple projects to finally go on a tour that lasted a while. And, um, day and night I'd be practicing, I'd be getting all ready and, you know, you invest in merchandise and you, you get your tour vehicle ready and you do all the things that you're supposed to do before tour. And it was just one of those things where it was like, I was so excited and so pumped for this to happen. And like I said, we did one show in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, there was chatter all around the venue about this new virus that has come out and everything like that. And everybody was speculating about it. And um, little by little, just shows just kept shutting down. So I was sent home with GFM and all the rest of the, the music scene that feels me on this, man, for a whole year. And um, because of that depression... I just felt like uh, I just really went through a really dark time in 2020. I mean, I felt like God had called me to this big thing and that I was off to my big start. 
And again, you know, it just collapsed right before my eyes. And I think when you deal with disabilities and you grow up with disabilities, that's a common thread in your life. You just see a lot of things like your efforts kind of fail forward. And so when I did that, um, because of the depression I was facing, I got into a relationship that was very toxic at the time. And um, yeah, for that entire year was just really a downward spiral for me. Yeah. And uh, again, with, with your Instagram, you, you've been very transparent and raw uh, about that relationship. And you were, I, I think it was sometime in the summer, you were about ready to perform at a festival and yeah, some things happened. Kind of t- walk us through that, Matt. Yeah. So I had gotten to this relationship in my low time. Um, and like I said, was really dealing with a lot of it. I didn't know until she kind of moved closer to my area that she was very narcissistic and um, we would have frequent arguments all the time and just she would tear down my character. She would tell me, you know, you shouldn't do the music thing. It's not practical. Um, why don't you just, you know, quit all that stuff and make your life about me? I'm like, oh, man, I mean, that's a pretty crazy statement. So I was being hounded and bad badgered a lot about what what my direction was in life. Um, and so, yeah, that relationship just uh, was like a huge downward spiral all the time. And I remember I had one show planned um, that year against my better judgment in between times I had gotten engaged to this person. Um, I was set to, you know, be a fiance, live the fiance life and everything like that. And, um, yeah, like during uh, 2020 and everything, I was getting ready to perform the one show that I had that year. And a couple minutes before I got on stage, um, that girl called me and she said she had no use for me anymore and she was leaving. So as, um, I was performing, Pit Fest 2020, I knew that my fiance at the time was was leaving. And so I knew that as I was on stage, she was packing her bags and going. Um, but that ended up kind of being one of those things that like that was really bad at the time, but it really was one of the things that opened up a whole bunch of opportunity. As soon as she left out of my life, it was weird because like it felt like God just went, okay, now that that's out of the way, I'm going to open all these doors for you. And right around then, a lot of people were rallying behind me in my inbox and just saying, man, we're praying for you. We believe God still has a plan for your life. Don't give up. You know, that was God's rescue mission. And a year later, I can testify that it was because I did my first international tour with Seventh Day Slumber. Man, just like God, right? Just like God to to turn what you know, at the time was, was the super disastrous situation for you. Right. I mean, just kind of a, a knife to the heart and then turn it into like the the biggest blessing because yeah, like you said, you got to do this international tour with seventh day slumber and now you're signed to their label to to Rockfest records. What, what was that like? Like when you, I don't know if it was a phone call or conversation, but when they offered you that deal to, Hey, come on board, man, what, what, what were you feeling? Man, well, I'll, I'll kind of back it up how I kind of ended up meeting them and everything too. So my stepdad is a big, you know, we've, we've been fans of Seven Day Slumber since I can remember, man. Like I remember growing up listening to them and, you know, just um, really being inspired by Joe and the rest of the band. And so we keep track of all their lives when they go live on, on uh, Instagram or Facebook or social media. We're usually the first to know. And so whenever, um, you know, whenever Joe would go live, 
um, my stepdad would get on there and be like, Hey man, I'm, I'm with Matt Sassano music. When are you going to take him on tour? When are you going to take him on tour? And for, at the first time I, I totally understand that Joe was kind of just like, you know, playing nice. And he's like, Hey man, we'll see, you know, we'll see what goes on, you know? And, and uh, so finally around, you know, after all this hassling Joe and all this kind of stuff, I finally step in the studio with Josiah. And I'm working with Josiah and I'm kind of new to this whole touring experience or how to break into it. And I said, Hey, Josiah, dude, just like, you know, like kind of help me out here, man. Like what, who do I talk to about touring? And, uh, Josiah is like, Hey man, have you ever like considered going on the road with maybe Joe Rowe? I know he puts together some really good, some really good tours, seven day slumber and everything. And, um, I think behind the scenes, uh, Josiah was really rallying for me. He's like, I got this new kid and you know, he's, he's new to the whole touring thing, but he's, he seems like a really talented guy or whatever. And would you, would you take him on tour? And at first, um, the story is that Joseph was like, uh, no, you know, cause like I was an unknown commodity, like, you know, nobody knew me. I mean, that could have been a huge risk for Joe, but I think after just a little more probing and a little bit more like, uh, just bugging him, and getting him to hear my story and what I was about, he said, Hey man, like, I like your story. I like what you're about. Um, I've heard some of your stuff and, uh, you're recording with Josiah. I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, why don't you just join us for our first uh, recovery tour and everything? And we'll just take you on. And so that was the first thing I did my first show with seven day slumber in, um, Westville, uh, Oklahoma. And so that was the rest was history, man. And then a few tours later, when I kind of proved that I was worth my salt and that I was, you know, could put on a show and I could do all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't going to bug anybody too bad. He was like, Hey man, um, why don't we just, uh, why don't we just sign you to the label? Um, at that point, not my name was released during the first tour of seven day slumber and it had done well on um, Christian rock radio. And so Joseph was like, Hey man, love the story. Loved how you engaged the fans loved, uh, that your song is doing so well. So welcome to Rockfest records. And now I've got Rockfest. I'm certified. So there it is, man. Bad. There's the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been awesome. I love it, man. I love it, man. What a, what a story. I, I love that. Just kind of the insistence of, of your stepdad to kind of put that bug in Joe's ear. And, um, I mean, yeah, just the events that transpired, you're working with, you know, Josiah from, from disciple and, and he knows Joe Rowe and here you are, you know, all this time later. And you, you came out with that in defiance EP and man, these songs pack a punch, dude. Like I, I love this stuff. I love just, again, your vulnerability in, in the lyrics. I mean, just going through every song. I, I know one that, um, is really raw and personal is guilty pleasure. You know, and that talks about the struggles with pornography and Absolutely. man, for you to be willing to put that struggle out there, uh, I just am so like inspired by you to do that because obviously it's a struggle that not just a lot of men, but a lot of women struggle with as well. So what was it like kind of, um, sharing that, that part of your life, that, that struggle with the world? Yeah. I mean, I think I, like I said, I always, from a time that I was born and from the time that I was raised in the environment that I was raised, I always craved transparency, man. Like I said, I hated the hypocrisy. I hated the idea that um, people would hide things. And so even when I was going through stuff that wasn't particularly um, 
you know, a, pr- a proud moment or whatever. I want to be the first person to be open about what I was going through. And so, uh, as I said, I spent a lot of time in isolation because of my disabilities. And when you're in isolation and you're lonely because you, you know, um, that tends to be a temptation with the pornography and everything. And it, and I, I'd like to say that it's like all gone now and everything, but it's still kind of like an everyday fight, you know, for me to continue to not do that. But I think that that's one of the things that's, you know, not only really rocked the church and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of people that have come out in the mainstream and talked about the harmful um, effects of pornography. We just recently had Billie Eilish um, talk about how it messed up her mind. Um, Lamar Odom, the basketball player was talking about the evils of it. We have Terry Crews and um, Russell Brand, the comedian. So I think that this is a conversation that is now um, extending beyond the church to the mainstream to where it's like, you know, maybe we thought this was innocent, but it's something that really does devastate a lot of people and physically and mentally can be harmful. For sure, man. And like I said, I super appreciate you sharing that because I know in you doing that, you're helping other people and you're blessing other people and giving them hope that they can overcome that struggle as well. And one of the other songs on on the EP, Dear God, and, and, and another powerful story in that song. And you're actually doing something really cool with that song and in a partnership with the Hope Line here. So tell us about that, Matt. Yeah. So my uh, newest single, Dear God, is just released um, and we're really excited. It's now currently number five on the Christian rock charts. So um, I'm I'm so blessed because Let's I'm getting, go. yeah, man, it's awesome. I'm, I'm getting so many messages every day saying, you know, this song has really helped me in my mental health battle. Um, I also am very isolated. I, you know, just continuous stories. And so um, we came up with this idea of um, letting that song be the outlet for people to reach out for mental health. So I'm going to be partnering partnering with um, an organization called Keep Choosing Life and another organization called The Hope Line, where people can um, get the mental health help that they need. Um, We've launched a landing page on the internet that's called mydeargodletter.com, where people can write their own letters to God vent their frustrations, um, ask about their purpose, kind of really articulate their feelings. When I was at my lowest, one thing that I did just to clear my mind was writing letters to God to clear my mind, to try to gain clarity. And so um, mydeargodletter.com gives people the opportunity to get real with their problems, to um, write their own Dear God letter and have the opportunity to, um, you know, get the mental health help that they need. Dude, I love it. And and such a needed message in in this generation and your uh helping to to lead the way with that. And I'll link all that stuff in the comments or in and in the show notes below so you guys can all find it, but I really believe in that uh message as well, man. And it's so cool how God has brought that partnership for you, you know, something that obviously you've struggled with and the thing that stands out to me, though, is that you've kept the faith through it all. Like you said, just that that faith in God. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not everyone's case. But I think you're a shining example, Matt, of, hey, even though we struggle, God is in our struggles and, and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us, just like his word says. And so, man, you you are a, a, just a great example of 
um, you know, this phrase might sound, you know, weird or awkward, but like to struggle well, right? Yeah. Because I think there's a difference between struggling recklessly and then struggling well. And and we struggle well when we hold on to our faith in God. And man, you you in general are just an inspiration. You your life has God written all over it. And a couple last questions for you, Matt, before I let you go. Sure. Number one, if there's someone listening to this right now who they have a disability, maybe they also have cerebral palsy or dyscalculia or whether it's dyslexia or whatever disability it may be, what advice do you have for them to just keep moving forward? Oh, man. That's a hard one. I wish that I just had one concrete answer, but my whole life has been a process of trying to uncover that and everything. But I do um, try to um, just encourage people that you are not the labels that people have put on you. You know, um, I know it took a lot of time to overcome for me and to see myself as somebody who um, is worthwhile and everything like that. And um, I really, like I said, um, I just encourage everybody just to continue to pray and to press in with God. I know that that sometimes can sound like a cliche, but it really does help in discovering your purpose and everything like that. Get a nice support group. If you've got a family or friends that are supportive of you, always just continue to um, surround yourself in that. And hopefully, um, you know, when people make fun of you and stuff like that, one of the things that I've learned was just to, to be, um, to develop like that sense of humor and not take myself so seriously. I know that's hard sometimes for a lot of people, um, but hopefully um, you're able to kind of navigate those waters and just realize that God created you, the individual that you're going to be in. I'm not going to say that it's going to be an overnight process. It's going to take a long time. It's taken me as long as I've been alive, but God is with you and um, just trust and believe that man and just press in for his plan and purpose every day. Amen. Amen. Last question for you, Matt. As you look back at the goodness of God in your life, what comes to mind? Oh, man. I am just really just blessed and fortunate, man. Really. I mean, for somebody who has been told by doctors and teachers and um, peers and even myself that I would never mount to anything, that I'd never do anything significant, that I was not the one that God called to do this or that, um, that I was too shy or too this or too that. Um, God is really, it says in the Bible that he'll, uh, prepare a table with you for you in the presence of your enemies. And I feel like a lot of the people that have, um, defamed me or, or doubted me or, or slandered me, um, are all kind of, being proved wrong now. And I don't take the credit for that, man. That's God's. Um, I've worked hard to get here, but God supplied me and, and, um, gave me these burdens that I, that I have that's, um, producing the music that's coming out today. So, um, yeah, man, I would just say to anybody out there, continue to use, um, not only your support system as a positive, but those who doubt you and defame you and all these kinds of things, use that as fuel to keep getting back up. You know, I love it. I love it, man. Matt, th this was awesome. This was such a pleasure getting to talk to you. How can people uh, find you online and follow you? Yeah, so I've got Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can go to mattsasano.com as well. My official website, it's still kind of under construction. Um, but 
Facebook and Instagram are probably the best places to reach me. And I'm on there more than the average person. So um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to see my track record's been exactly perfect. But if you try to reach out to me, I will do my 100% best to reply back and everything like that. I really appreciate everybody. And I want everybody to remember that my new CD is out now. It's called In Defiance. And it's a reminder and a call to action to stand in defiance to whatever brings you down, makes you feel alone or worthless. And I hope you guys dig it. And that's exactly what you're doing, Matt. You are standing in defiance to everything that the enemy has tried to use to harm you and destroy you. Uh, Man, just your faith in God. You're allowing God to use it all for good. And he's being glorified now, man, just through your life, through your music. And I'm excited to see where this goes. I know you're just getting started. God's got so many amazing things in store for you. And uh, man, I'm going to be along for the ride with you. Matt has shown such grit and determination to overcome everything he's been through in life, and now he's living his dream of making hope-giving music to give God the glory. I'm so thankful that through the darkness Matt has walked in, that he's had that relationship with Jesus to empower and strengthen him to press on. And if there's anyone out there listening to this who wants that for themselves, all you've got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He'll take care of the rest. He'll transform you into a new creation, and you can have that same hope and peace that Matt has in God. Make sure you guys check out his EP, In Defiance, available wherever you get your music. And go to MyDearGodLetters.com to share your struggle and get the appropriate help you need, because you do not have to suffer You do not have to be without hope, and you do not have to be alone. Follow Matt on Instagram at MattSassanoMusic, and check out his website, MattSassano.com, to see when he's going to be in a town near you and get his merchandise. If you have any questions for Matt, send me a DM on social media, email me at TWTerryPod at gmail.com, or use the hashtag AskTWT. That's it for this episode, but I'll be back with another testimony next week. In the meantime, make sure you're living life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace.